We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined this evening for the first time since May the 7th, basically when it went pear-shaped here with a guest in the studio. And that guest is Sean Sue, who just happens to have been the last in-studio guest we had after it went pear-shaped in May. It's great to be here in person. And on the telephone by Donovan Smith, because he's in Taichung. And we'll jump straight in this week with the DPP this past weekend, kicking off a national campaign calling on voters to vote no in the upcoming national referendums, which are scheduled for December the 18th. The referendums, of course, involve the revival of work on the fourth nuclear power plant, opposition to a plan for a liquefied natural gas receiving station in Taoyuan's Guanyin district, a ban on pork imports containing ractopamine, and the holding of referendums and national elections on the same day. Now, the DPP held its opening vote no rally in Taoyuan. And speaking at that event, President Tsai Ing-wen stressed that the outcome of the referendums will dictate the future of Taiwan and she called on voters not to allow national interests and the island's future to be sacrificed to party political interests. Vice President William Lai was in Pingdong the following day where he told supporters that the outcome of the referendums could cause a crisis that would hurt Taiwan's future. But it's not a political challenge to President Tsai Ing-wen. Now, for its part, the KMT has been busy this week pushing its Vote Yes campaign, with party members countering the DPP's arguments and party chairman Eric Jew once again describing the December 18th referendums as being a vote of no confidence in the DPP administration. Eric Jew has also been touting the merits of bringing the mothballed fourth nuclear power plant black online, saying that it will provide a safe means of generating electricity and ensure stable supplies. And there have been also large and very loud counter-arguments concerning the pork issue from the KMT, with officials in the party saying contrary to government claims a return of the ban on pork with traces of ractopamine in will not affect taiwan u.s trade ties or stymie the island's chances of joining the comprehensive and progressive agreement for trans-pacific partnership so sean they're on the road they're going around vote yes vote no vote yes vote no who do you think the majority of the people are going to believe and which looking at now it's just kicked off which party do you think will put its points across possibly the better Ah, uh, okay. So I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do have a gumball here. And I think uh, uh, from my off predictions, I think the KMT might actually win this. Now, I th- the reason is not necessarily because I think the general Taiwan populace really necessarily uh, is 100% concerned about each of these things specifically. But, you know, uh, Taiwanese voters, they do like to complain. They do like to have their say. Uh, I do think that uh, the referendums might not actually have a real impact down the line. The reason is because we saw what happened in the 2018 referendums, yet, you know, gay marriage still passed. Nuclear, The nuclear power plants were not, uh, plant four wasn't put back online, et cetera, et cetera. So there is loopholes and... And I don't think the president is had, gets a gun put over her head, so to speak, to uh, carry out these referendums. But I do see potential problems down the line. It's it's regardless of how Taiwanese people vote for the KMT uh, voting to block uh, uh, racto pork, so to speak, uh, will definitely hurt its relations with the United States because the United States has made it clear that they do want Taiwan accepting racto pork, like they already accept racto beef. There's of course the usual hypocrisy because you know when party switch, they sort of change positions. But like I said, uh, I think last time on the show uh, that I was here, that uh, physically here, that, uh, you know, um, 
the KMT did change positions, but there are certain changes that happened. For instance, uh, labeling was better, you know, uh, uh, versus in the past uh, when there was all that controversy versus um, beef. But then also you have the Algol Reef things. The DPP has already proposed moving it far further at great cost. Uh, to protect these reefs, so I know that the KMT is trying to appeal to environmentalists, but at the same, you know, which who traditionally tend to be pan green, but uh, I think you know the reality is. It can be protected, even if this referendum passed, because the DPP can simply say, "Well, like we had our latest plan, which is to move it far further," you know. And they might also say, "Okay,、uh, you want to restart the restart the fourth nuclear power plant, but if you're going to do that, that's why we can't protect the algal reefs completely, because you know it's harder to build another LNG receiving station or liquid natural gas receiving station." So these are these are all things that will 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 come back and forth. However, I think the KMT has the advantage here、uh, in being able to mobilize its、uh, base to come out. Whereas I feel like personally, I'm not sure if the DPP is able to mobilize them for this round.、Uh, it seems like they started having a wake up wake up call, especially with、um, the recall that happened with、uh, Tamboe last、uh, <laughs> not too long ago. So they're kind of ha-、uh, kind of waking up and worried maybe about.、Uh, The upcoming Freddie Lim、uh, recall election, and so maybe there might be some changes. But generally, I do think the KMT will win most of these、uh, referendum proposals. And Donovan, I've got a list here of it's a breakdown of the polit- the four main political parties and how they intend to vote in the referendum. Now, yes, the, starting with very the, interesting, isn't it? Starting with the DPP, they're、mm-hmm. going to vote no across the board. There's、yeah. four referendums. The DPP vote four noes. The KMT. Four yays for the KMT.、Mm-hmm. Now, the Taiwan People's Party. So far, they've announced they're going to vote yes to blocking imports of pork containing ractopamine and yes to protecting the algal reef in Taoyuan. However, they remain undecided on whether to hold referendums with general elections and also undecided on whether to restart the fourth nuclear power plant. While the New Power Party, well, it's going to vote to ban ractopamine pork. It's going to vote to protect the algal reefs. It's going to vote to hold referendums. With general elections, but the new power party is not going to vote to restart the fourth nuclear power plant. Yes, I think this is quite interesting. I actually have the same charter open in front of me right now. I think,、um, yeah, there's a, there's a few few takeaways from this. Now, obviously, the KMT they they initiated two of these referendums,、uh, but the other two they're throwing their support behind.、Uh, not, I don't think for any particular ideological reasons, but I think simply to oppose the government.、Um, So it, it, I think their motivations are pretty clear and pretty straightforward. Now, what's very interesting about the、uh, TPP here is that when it comes to、um, when it comes to actually the Ractopa,、uh, sorry, the、um, uh, the fourth nuclear power plant. They、uh, want to vote no on this, so they're aligning with the DPP. That's the official、uh, party line, and that's Kopi's、uh, line as well. But apparently, I, I saw a headline、uh, last night that 70% of TPP supporters actually agree with the KMT on this one and want to vote yes on the fourth nuclear power plant. Now, I, I have a suspicion that what really what's going on here is that the TPP. They've been dinged quite a bit recently as being the small blue party, meaning that they're 
they are kind of a small version of the KMT, and I think this is they want to kind of underline that they're somewhere between the KMT and the DPP positioning-wise. So they're going for two yeses and two noes. That's my theory on this one. Now, as for the NPP, this is quite interesting. They, they're agreeing with the uh, DPP on one, and they are opposing the DPP and agreeing with the KMT on three issues. And this is a very interesting positioning. Now, they've made what they consider, you know, their case, they've made their case on all four of these, and they have called their, you know, their choices on all of this quite rational. But what's really quite interesting is that they seem to be, particularly, for example, on the racto pork issue, this they know for a fact is going to have repercussions with the United States in particular. Um, and they're also lining up, interestingly, on holding, with the KMT, on holding referendums al- alongside future elections. Now, what's very strange about, I think, both of those two choices um, is that I think the NPP, before they had so many defections uh, and resignations uh, and before, I think they would have aligned much more closely, probably three out of the four with the NP, uh, with the DPP. But they seem to have been moving very much toward the center-right uh, in a lot of the recent pronouncements, since they've lost Freddie Lim, uh, Hong Se-yong, uh, Huang Guochang, they've lost all of these, uh, uh, the original leading lights in the party, who tended to be very left-leaning and tended to agree with the, the DPP on international issues. So I think that's very interesting positioning uh, on their part. And Sean, of course, the KMT countered the concern about annoying America with the racto pork, we'll call it. I don't like that. Well, you started it, so I'm going to continue with it. <laughs> with the county, of course, Sean countered that by saying it would have no effect on Taiwan-US trade ties because it's only a very small part of the matter. Oh, yeah, they can try to try to convince voters of that. But the reality is uh, even uh, Taiwanese Pub- uh, Public Opinion Foundation said that they th- uh, they did a survey on Taiwanese people and they realized that most Taiwanese people feel that the U.S. will defend them. It's part of the fact that I think a lot of Taiwanese people feel that U.S.-Taiwan relations are very important. So the DPP trying to say, ah, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the trade in pork or the it, Taiwan's consumption of pork isn't that high in numbers. Yes, that's true. But yes, it will hurt U.S. relations. Uh, the U.S. has had, uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head who said it, but they've already said before that they do feel that, uh, you know, Taiwan accepting U.S. pork is ex- of, you know, pretty important concern to the United States. So I think the KMT is just trying to hope that it can convince its own voters. But in reality, I mean, uh, when Eric Chu goes to visit uh, the United States in January, we, we all know he's going to get chewed out for this. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, they may say that now, but they're just delaying the inevitable and hoping things go their way. But we all know it's going to affect things. I, goes, Donovan, now, I can add to this. I mean, the KMT actually has an, a couple of interesting points. Uh, one is they asked the Thai government to, now that there's a European delegation here, uh, to ask them if the EU is anti-U.S. because the EU bans ractopamine. Also, the U.S., uh, Actually, U.S. pork production with ractopamine is only 22%. However, 
the thing is, is that really what this all boils down to is an old standing clash going way back between the United States and Taiwan, when there was a lot more ractopamine, was a much bigger issue, uh, when the U.S. was using it a lot more commonly, and Taiwan blocked it, and the U.S. was very upset about it. The DPP government now uh, allowing the ractopork in, into the country was hugely symbolic to the United States. And the concern is, and this was actually um, a comment that I got from Shelley Rigger, um, is she's concerned that a lot of U.S. senators in particular have been very pro-Taiwan recently. If Taiwan passes this, this referendum, they're going to feel that the Taiwanese are kind of being ungrateful to the U.S., and that may have a political impact in the U.S. And Sean, what about the nuclear power plant issue? Because, of course, Eric Ju, the KMT chairman, wants to restart it. But, of course, the, the mayor of New Taipei, where the power plant is located, isn't such a fan of restarting it. Oh, well, I'll put it this way. It's kind of funny because when you, when you ask the KMT local leaders or mayors like Jinmun Matsu, yeah, the population of Jinmun Matsu really loves nukes, but you know what? Their mayors don't like it. The KMT officials in Taizong, same thing. They don't want it. You know, it's a very NIMBY, not in my backyard situation where the KMT is like, yeah, let's restart this for a nuclear power plant, but they don't really have a plan. Uh, first of all, it took too long to build. Uh, you know, there's there was a lot of cronyism. Uh, the history would probably take this whole entire show. Um, there's safety problems. There was legal lawsuits. It's it's built on top of a fault. It's threatened by tsunamis. You know, only one of the core reactors is working. The other one isn't because they had to take parts from it. There was trash thrown in the reactor core. And all the nuclear uh, products, the fuel has been sent back already. It's going to take a decade to get it back. It was built by construction companies that didn't have any experience building these things. And it took them a decade to do so. Uh, it's just one long string of problems and you know and if 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 somehow there's a meltdown and it's the same radius as let's say fukushima we'd have to abandon parts of taipei uh we'd have to abandon geelong we'd have to abandon you know elon is this really something that kmt can really do i, I don't i don't think so um there's i personally suspect you know the only reason they're pushing for that is either to you know be against something or hopefully they can you know make pork out of this. And there's a lot of pork projects, but the fourth nuclear power plant is pro plus it doesn't even have that much doesn't provide that much power. It's like uh, it would add up to something a little bit more than 5%, uh, which can easily be surpassed by renewables, which can be built in a much shorter time. Even, you know, LNG plants can be built in a much shorter time that surpasses the energy output, uh, potentially on paper, of uh, the fourth nuclear power plant. But, uh, and, and just to add, it was mothballed during the Ma administration, who's KMD, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's like, and Eric Chu himself in the past uh, was not really for it, and then now he's, you know, for it. But, uh, of course, you know, parties do, when they're in power or not in power, do kind of flip-flop around a, a bit. But in terms of, you know, regardless of whether you really support nuclear power or not, the fact of the matter is the fourth nuclear power plant was not built well. You know, it has a lot of problems. It's not a quality product. So me personally, uh, I, I just don't like that particular plant itself. Uh, do I think the KMT might might win this referendum, though, for that one? Yeah, because I think a lot of people, they just want an easy solution. You know, they want to hear, oh, you know, uh, if we just have this nuclear plant, we'll turn it on and then ah, we can have all this cheap energy. Um, but that's really not the solution. Uh, it's probably not going to happen regardless, even if the referendum 
send them passes, even if they did an earnest effort to put that plant online, it's probably going to take another decade at best. So at this point, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, the KMT is doing its best to try to, you know, slow things down a bit and change things to put itself into a better position. Uh, that's really the game here, because uh, when the KMT had a new party platform, uh, when they announced it this week, one of the, the last main part they said was they want to return to power. And this is just one of those things that they can sort of, you know, be a thorn on the side. And seeing as we're talking about the KMT and its newly elected chairman, Eric Jew, well, we did mention he was going to pop off to the United States in January. But this past weekend, the KMT passed a new policy platform titled Defend Taiwan, Protect Democracy, Fight for the Future, Return to Power. The platform covers a myriad of issues, including cross-strait ties, of course, climate change and even matters related to animal rights. Now, Eric Jew told delegates at the KMT's National Congress in Taipei that the party will determinedly defend defend democracy in the Republic of China and would defend against efforts to undermine the ROC's constitution, freedom and rule of law by either the Beijing or the DPP. Now, the new platform continues to tout support for the 1992 consensus as being the basis for cross-strait ties. It still opposes Beijing's one country, two systems formula, as well as Taiwan independence, and also still opposes military threats or any unilateral action that could affect peace between the two sides and cross-strait status quo issues. But KMT officials did stress that the party platform also includes Eric Ju's new proposal that both sides of the Taiwan Strait seek a common ground while respecting their differences. And that's a change from the KMT's previous stance of seeking common ground while allowing differences. So Donovan, Mr Ju goes to Washington in sometime between the Western New Year and the Lunar New Year is the latest report that's going to happen. But of course, not only are the pork issues going to come up, but how's he going to present his party's stance on China to obviously Republicans who currently loathe China and the current Biden administration, which is sort of not quite as extreme as Republicans when it comes to Beijing, but is also sort of a bit nervy about Beijing's actions. Um, okay, well, let's, uh, just quickly, to start with the uh, seeking common ground and respecting differences, uh, the um, <clears throat> uh, the uh, Chiltong Tsun uh, Yi formulation, by the way, and if they get a hold of that, the Republicans get a hold of that, and find out that that has multiple ways of being translated. Uh, another way of putting it, which, by the way, the, the China's Taiwan Affairs Office interprets it as the... Um, <clears throat> It interprets the first part of that as seeking unification. So he's kind of off to a bad start here. Um, and if you look at you know this this declaration that you referred to, it, it comes with things like uh, reinvigorating Chinese culture and deepening cross-strait peace and all of these things. So when he hits Washington, a lot of these senators are going to be briefed on this, and I'm pretty sure the DPP. Um, is going to be laying the ground to undermine him before he even arrives. And that's going to be super easy. As you know, there's a lot of uh, American uh, Congress people, particularly on the Republican side, but also just recently Adam Schiff came out uh, uh, strongly for Taiwan just the other day. So, And he's a Democrat. So there's a lot of support in Washington for uh which, of course, is a big difference from 2012 when they were suspicious of her. Um, and they're very supportive of Tsai Ing-wen's stance. They're very supportive of basically the, the way that she's redefined Taiwan's positioning uh, as regards to China. 
uh, they think she's a hero standing up to China and a and and her, I, her coming out and saying things like Taiwan doesn't need to declare independence. Taiwan is already independent. These things are all going down very very well in Washington. So when Chu arrives. He's going to have to answer questions about the previous Ma administrations, bringing down defense spending down to under 2%. Um, he's going to have to answer for uh, his letter to Xi Jinping, which was extraordinarily obsequious um, when he became chair. He's got a lot to answer for. Now, I assume by that point their new office will be set up um, because that was already uh, booked or rented under uh, Johnny, Johnny Jiang when uh, he was the chair. Um, so he'll probably have some kind of inauguration ceremony there for that, and he'll get some people there. But I don't really see American Congress people or State Department officials being terribly enthusiastic to see him. The tone has changed a lot since they, they had their office in the 2000s, which they subsequently closed when Ma Zhou became president. Now they're going back. They've, you know, they closed their old office, and they don't really have a message that, that Washington wants to hear, uh, particularly also as well they're against uh, ractopork. So he's going to have a tough trip. He'll be politely listened to by, I'm sure, you know, diplomats, but, you know, at, at state. But... Uh, he, he really just has very little to give them. So he's going to fall back, I think, on platitudes. A lot of the things he's been saying about how uh, we need to defend Taiwan's democracy and depend, defend the Constitution and defend, you know, the Republic of China forever and these kinds of things. Um, but those are just slogans. And so he's going to have a lot of trouble, I think, gaining any traction and frankly i don't think this is going to do a whole lot for the kmt and they can't afford it considering they're broke so fundamentally i think it's going to be kind of a failed effort it's going to be costly for the kmt when they can't afford it and um they you know they probably would be as i think it was uh Chen Shizhong, sorry, no, it was um, Zhang Yajong during the debates. He said, I would just go work through AIT. That would be a lot cheaper and easier. And he's probably got a point. Oh, yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, the KMT is definitely going to pop in here. And then I think they're, I, I personally think they're going to pretend that they're going to be a reset. I don't think it's going to convince too many U.S. officials, but I think they will market it to the Taiwanese people. And of course, their uh, pen blue friendly media will paint it as some sort of diplomatic victory or renewed ties with the United States, uh, as they're apt to say. However, in reality, I agree with you totally uh, that indeed they're running out of money. They're, um, you know, I, it's it's not going to be a good time. Uh, they don't really have much of a choice, uh, I think, because they may think that if they don't act as a strong opposition or they don't position posture themselves as a strong opposition, then they won't be able to get strong votes. Personally, um, I went back and looked at 2016 and 2017 when they supposedly had new platforms as well. It feels like much of the same to me. Uh, it feels like they will always say something that sort of appeals a little bit, but then they run back to saying, ah, we're, we're still for the 92 consensus. We're still for 
were, uh, uh, you know, uh, were, were against anti-Taiwan independence, were against this and that. But I mean, uh, they're not getting with the program. Things have changed a lot. Uh, Xi Jinping is not well liked. Uh, China's warfare diplomacy has ruined things. So to ask for a reset when I don't think too many people around the world still believe status quo is still static in any way or means uh, just kind of biding time, he might be seen as somebody who's biding time for China. And that won't be taken very well. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And in the second part of the show, we're going to begin with Deputy Environment Minister Shen Zhou on Wednesday, calling for Taiwan to be included in the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Now, according to Shen, Taiwan's exclusion from the mechanisms of the Paris Agreement could hurt its semiconductor manufacturing process planning and further affect the stability of the international supply chains for high-tech industries. Shen says that although political factors mean Taiwan can only participate as an NGO observer, this doesn't mean that Taiwan has abdicated its shared responsibility with participating countries. Now, Shen is leading a delegation to Scotland this week, which is in which he's set to participate in what are being called fringe events at the United Nations 26th session of the Conference on the Parties in Glasgow. Now, the Deputy Minister will be hosting a Taiwan Day event on November the 7th in the Scottish city to showcase Taiwan's achievements in fighting against climate change and its approach to the future moves to, well, fight against climate change. And the Taiwan delegation that he's going with is also planning to hold a briefing on the government's nuclear-free green energy and carbon reduction policies as part of those fringe events. Now, of course, they are referred to fringe events here, Sean, but we do have one regular guest on the show that would say they're popping off there for the pity party. Uh, yeah, uh, this happens every single year. Um, granted, as long as the, as long as Taiwan isn't invited to uh, UN NGO events and so forth, the only voice it really has is doing these side events. Which, uh, unfortunately, it's very hard to get much attention except locally. Uh, one of the, the the key differences I think that will happen is just all it does is just remind people in Taiwan that they're excluded. Will it actually convince members of the UN to make a change? Uh, in terms of climate change, I, I just don't really think so that much because Taiwan might not be seen as one of the most important factors. China is, you know, so uh, clearly, you know, Taiwan is going to have to sit on, on the sidelines for this one. When it comes to chip manufacturing and other things, yes, of course, uh, there will be interest in that kind of thing. But again, that's seen more as a, as a local Taiwan issue more so than anything. Yeah, I think these. I, I think actually sending these delegations and having these side meetings is actually a really good thing. Um, and I don't consider it necessarily just fringe, because what's happening more and more is you're getting active participation by friendly countries to Taiwan in these meetings with Taiwan. And it's not just this particular one, but it includes a lot of other international organizations. And more and more countries are showing up to these meetings to meet with Taiwan. And in a lot of cases, they're talking about practical business. Now, during these meetings, what's happening is that Taiwan is it's what's underscored is that Taiwan is being excluded, but on the other hand, Taiwan is going bending over backwards to show that it is a good international uh, government uh, part of the system, working hard to uh, to to be part of the international community, 
And it, it, it and so what, what what a lot of these countries see is how hard Taiwan is working, how um, you know, and it, it really and when they start dealing with China in these same organizations and their intransigence and their how difficult they are, and Taiwan comes in as the perfect model national uh, citizen, it it really drives home the point uh, that China is the thug china is the aggressor and that the the previous way of thinking of of governments in you know around the world particularly friendly ones to taiwan that oh we shouldn't meet with taiwan we shouldn't support taiwan we shouldn't welcome them into the international community um it, more and more they're they're starting to realize that 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 previously their plan of, of not welcoming them in because of pressure from China, and because China, you know, oh, we might we might offend the feelings of 1.4 billion Chinese people. They're starting to realize what a joke and what a lie all of that is. So I actually think these meetings are really quite valuable for Taiwan's diplomacy. Uh, not just in reaching out to other governments, not just to make these points, but also you're getting more and more cases where international media is noticing them because a lot more countries are participating in these side meetings with Taiwan, which is, in, again, starting to draw more and more attention, not even just within foreign governments, but within foreign media as well. So I think a lot of this is doing an absolutely excellent job of showing up uh, the pub People's Republic for wh who and what they are and does a great job of underscoring Taiwan's strengths and its willingness to participate in the world community regardless of China's pressure. And Sean, what about coverage in Taiwan and the local media of the COP26 event? I mean, there's been a bit of it, but it hasn't been as splashy as the Western media. I think a lot of it is, yeah, indeed, indeed, uh, Donovan is correct that, yes, it, it does increase Taiwan's profile. Uh, just personally, I feel that a large portion of that is also because of the negative uh, attention uh, or reputation that China has built up very recently. Uh, so then Taiwan is kind of being used uh, in both ways as like leverage uh, in order to sort of not only highlight uh, what China could do better, but also, um, you know, aside from just raising Taiwan's profile. But I think in terms of Taiwan local uh, concerns, especially in media, uh, it's, it's just one of these things that unless they're talking about a specific issue, like, for instance, um, windmills or, you know, for instance, the referendum on the nuclear power plants, uh, it's not something I just see most regular Taiwanese people being that concerned about. Uh, from my regular watchings of, you know, t uh, news uh, on TV, they still spend a, a huge amount of time talking about things like, you know, uh, what's on PTT, what's on YouTube and things like that. So I saw far more coverage of let's say the song the fra uh, uh, the, the fragile song uh, uh, that was made popular uh, in these days than as opposed to you know the climate uh, uh, conferences and it's just one of those unfortunate realities that even though it's very important uh, and I and I know it makes a splash with some people who really care about the environment or care about Taiwan standing in the world uh, you know in terms of actual power changes and stuff
enough. Uh, not quite there. But of course, uh, you know, yes, it does improve Taiwan's profile. Uh, and yes, it is being used as a contrast against China's. Uh, it's too bad we couldn't include Namwe because he's Malaysian. Uh, in the delegation, I think that would have helped raise raise the profile locally. <laughs> yes, it would have. <laughs> and moving on to some rather regional and lighter news now, the Taipei City Government on Wednesday became the first local government here to take concrete steps to ban the sale, advertising, display and commercial transportation of e-cigarettes, vaping devices and heated tobacco units. The regulation was brought into effect through a self-government ordinance, but it still has to be ratified by the Cabinet. Now, according to the Taipei City Government, people caught using e-cigarettes in certain areas will face a fine of up to 10,000 NT and be ordered to attend an anti-tobacco programme. The same maximum fine will be applicable to businesses found to be selling or advertising e-cigarette products or moving them from place to place. However, the city government's health promotion division says there is currently not a timetable for implementing the ban. So, Sean, they're they're thinking of banning e-cigarettes in certain places, completely banning them and hoping to wipe them out. But, of course, they've started with e-cigarettes. What about cigarettes themselves? Uh, what about cigarettes themselves? What about, uh, you know, coal power plants in Taizong, which also cause tons of people to get cancer every year? Uh, you know, what about all these pollutants uh, that we have? What about uh, burning of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, temple, incense. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's one building near my office where if I just passed by it, I have to make a change of clothes. I literally have to walk around the block because they burn this sort of paper that's like extra smoky that gets all over you. There, there's a lot of problems in Taiwan, um, just like anywhere else. And of course, e-cigarettes is one of those things that are Vogue. Uh, (laughs) I mean, yes, I do see a lot of younger people. I'm not sure if they're under 18 or not, uh, you know, vaping. uh, But... uh, but a total ban on that, I, I don't know if I totally entirely agree. Uh, there's so many things that are in the air, in, in especially um, the entire western coast of Taiwan that we have to deal with, that I'm not sure if this is the most important thing to do. I do. I am interested in seeing what the after effects will be of, uh, of how people react towards this ban, though. That is something I don't, it's unknown if it does pass, but if it does, I, I can't wait to see what happens. I think it's total nonsense. I don't think it'll do any good. Um, People are smoking cigarettes already, and this is actually a way for smokers to help tone down the amount of smoking that they do. Um, For example, if they smoke at home around their family, if they use these vapes, it's far. It reduces the secondhand smoke for the families. Um, You know, it's. It's basically causing more harm than good, I think, when it comes to dealing with smoking. So, you know, it's just one of these things that sounds good, like they're doing something for the public, but the reality is it'll cause more harm than good. I don't see any upside to this. And do you see other cities like Taichung, Donovan, the government there, picking up on this and going, yeah, we're going to do the same thing? They've already been talking about it. But are they going forward with the ordinance? Uh, not that I, not that I've seen so far, but I know that it's been proposed already, um, like a year ago, um, and, and they they already have some restrictions in place already. I don't think they're as extensive as Taipei's. And Sean, do you think if this picks up in more cities and counties, the central government might have to do something? <sighs> Uh, I think this this uh, if the central government does something, I think this will have to be weighed in consideration of votes. Um, ah, referendum. Uh, yeah, <laughs> referendum maybe. 
<laughs> because I think I think some people might actually like these things, given Taiwan's uh, attitude towards uh, recreational "quote unquote" drugs, is still a little bit interesting. So I think they they might be able to. Some people might think some officials might think they might be able to get some votes just by you know banning e-cigarettes, but. To be honest, I agree with you. I don't know. I, I don't know the exact sciences if secondhand from e-cigarettes is more harmful. But I mean, versus regular cigarettes, it's definitely a lot less smelly. There's the pollution aspect in terms of trash. Like cigarette butts are really not good for the environment, and we're an island nation. Whereas um, you know, vapes they they are more you know the containers and stuff. I believe are more recyclable or even reusable. So it's really hard to, but I agree with Donovan. I mean, who? What is this for? Who's going to be happy out of this? You know, there are already plenty of places that ban vaping or cigarette smoking. Uh, you know, and and that's not going to change. And this isn't going to help or make that worse or or make that better. You know, it's just a thing. And uh, <laughs> I think there's just there's just going to be people who are just going to get really annoyed by this ultimately down the line. And before we go this week, a local math teacher has taken a rather off-the-wall approach to attracting more students by posting videos of his calculus lessons on a porn website. Now, according to Jung Shu, he's managed to attract 1.9 million viewers of his roughly 230 videos and garnered nearly 7,000 subscribers to his account since he began posting his lessons on the adult website in 2020. Now, Jung is, of course, fully clothed in the videos and teaches math in Mandarin for about an hour. And he says that he's now earning some 7.5 5 million NT per year teaching math on but everywhere basically he's got more students enrolled because he put them on the porn site now he has a master's degree in mathematics because he's not a slouch obviously and he's got 15 years of teaching experience and Jung admitted that he tried lecturing on the YouTube but found it difficult to stand out for his competitors so Donovan he went to a porn website to stand out for his competitors yeah, I think he's probably the uh, most, uh, probably the second most successful uh, uh, person on these porn sites after Stormy Daniels, as far as uh, as far as that goes. I, I think this is pure genius. As as uh, as he noted, uh, apparently he was thinking about how to reach the the college age uh, students uh, that he taught online. You know, people of that age, and so he thought, well, porn porn sites. <laughs> So you know it's uh, and also it gives you know it gives uh, it, you know it gives young people a perfect excuse to say oh this is why I'm on this porn channel to their parents if they walk in you know just keep that window you know just over it and uh, and if they look at the browsing history and say oh no 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 I was just doing my math class so I, I think there's all kinds of upsides to this. Uh, but the problem is, is if a bunch of other copycats come in, I'd be willing to bet the porn sites will start shutting it down. So I, I, he may have to worry about this being short-lived now that he's got a lot of press attention. Another bunch of copycats. Taiwan, yeah. another bunch of copycats. Sean, Taiwan, oh, copycats. Well, well, here's the thing. He himself has said that he has hoped to bring in more people. to. Uh, so it's only not only just him hosting, but other teachers hosting too. So almost starting like a Khan Academy straight from Pornhub. And what's also interesting is that he not only has a master's. By the way, I, I actually read his master's paper. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's the Harnack inequality for the heat equation on a complete Rymian, Rymanian mat. 
manifold. And wow, it has a lot of words that I don't know. Can you but, say that in English? Uh, I, I don't believe I don't know what language that was, but it was something. <laughs> and and not to mention, um, and by the way, the entire paper sounds just like that title. And the other thing is making 7.5 million NT a year, and he expects to breach 10 million NT next year. So that's 270,000 USD to teach, and next year he thinks he's going to breach almost 360,000. But here's the thing. He got a master's from NTNU, but he realized that if he went to finish his PhD as an assistant professor, by the way, it takes a long time to get into that position, he would only make 60,000 NT a month. So he's making more than 10 times the salary by doing by teaching math. And the other crazy thing is that uh, he certified himself as a porn star because Pornhub initially removed his videos. Then he certified himself as a porn star. They welcomed him back. And apparently on the Pornhub platform globally, he's a top 1.5% porn star that never goes <laughs> naked, but is a top one. That means he's way more popular than a lot of the vast majority out there. And he never had to take off a single article of clothing. I mean, Donovan, not a serious point here. Do you think he'll, he'll eventually remove the videos from said porn site and maybe start his own website? Well, I don't see how he'd be able to monetize that anywhere near as well. Um, you know, that's, that's really kind of, I, I think he, he's looking for, I think, two things here. One is, is what he talks about publicly, of course, and that is getting a bigger audience. What he's leaving unsaid is, of course, the monetization uh, is obviously a big factor. I mean, if you're making that kind of money, you certainly would want to keep making that kind of money. So if you set up your own website, now, if you've got a large enough audience, you might be able to migrate them, um, but I, I don't see that. I, I think kind of the novelty of where he's at is a big part of the draw. So if you're looking for math classes, you know, I think you get a little bit more of a kick or a little bit of a buzz or a little bit of, you know, it's just plain funnier if you're watching math classes on Pornhub. So, and he's cre created a, a kind of a funny, unique niche. Uh, and and I, I think he's going to play it to the hilt until they stop him. Oh, yeah, indeed. Uh, but uh, Pornhub is, is known for, pulling, for allowing stunts like these. I think uh, many years ago, Pornhub was in the news for claiming that if they had a number of visits or something, they would plant a tree. And eventually, they ended up planting a whole entire forest. So I don't know if, if Pornhub becomes the, the, the academic site in the far future. You know, maybe it's like 2030, and then everyone's like, oh, yes, my college classes. And Harvard says, yeah, we'll upload them to the primary uh, academic uh, uh, website, Pornhub. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, Pornhub. <laughs> but Pornhub will definitely, I think, keep him around. Uh, they may put a lid to other people trying to attempt the same thing to gain fame uh, because it garners them good publicity and they want that. So for now, yeah, not only, not to mention, uh, yesterday, uh, Pornhub's uh, Instagram and social media manager actually interviewed him. So uh, for now, he's in their good graces. So I don't think he's going to go away anytime soon, but I don't think Pornhub's going to allow those copycats because it doesn't want to be known for anything other than primarily porn. And that's where we we'll leave it here this week on Sean Sue's expertise on a porn website. About yes. that, you've been listening to Taiwan This Week with me, Gavin Phipps, your host, and I've been joined today in the studio by Sean Sue. Oh, it's great to be back. And on the telephone by Donovan Smith in Taichung.
Always great to be here. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.